Do I have my folks? I'm here. Gail? And I'm here. Yay! Hooray! Hooray! College radio at its finest. I apologize to all three of you and the listeners for that terrible uh, radio snafu. Conference calling is always a gamble. It is. It's tough getting three folks on the phone together. Um, And I may ask one one person to talk quieter than the other because I can't separate into channels all i have is everyone on one line oh man it's uh so you mean i can't talk over jeek if you yelled you could (laughs) (laughs) so you talks over me (laughs) (laughs) in in fact i think in this situation you can talk over someone else uh with with much ease because i can't turn you off i see okay Um, so I'm going to reintroduce my guests. Let's just start with a clean slate. Uh, Ink Stud, CITR 101.9 FM. Today, we're specifically talking about John Stanley. Uh, we've had some technical issues for the last 15 minutes, and now we sound like we are all set. So I'm joined by G here. Our regular listeners will be very familiar with him. Frank Young, who does the Stanley Stories blog, which we'll get into a little later. Um, Jeet, uh, came with the position editor, um, I'm, I'm still more slightly towards uh, archivist. Um, and lastly, but not least, Gail Singer. Um, now, you're a documentary filmmaker, Gail? Yes. Um, one of the things I do. One of the things. You do other things, many things? Many things. Many things. Yeah. The show's not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Now, you're... Th- Jeet wanted to bring you on. I guess I'll let Jeet. Well, you want yeah, to jump in I, here? 
um, we're talking today about John Stanley, who's an American cartoonist from the middle of the last century, and uh, he, he did many things, but I, today he's, um, these days he's best remembered as the, uh, uh, basically the, the writer um, and uh, maybe the auteur, in some ways, of the Little Lulu series, uh, the comic book series that um, uh, ran um, from uh, starting in 1945, uh, and ran for many decades, Stanley working on it um, until roughly the late, um, at the end of the 1950s. Uh, and um, the character Little Lulu was created by uh, another very interesting cartoonist, which we'll discuss a little bit later, um, uh, Marjorie Henderson Buell. Uh, and Stanley was a real sort of journeyman cartoonist who worked with other people's characters, sort of like Carl Barks, who did the um, Uncle Scrooge stories. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, I think one reason that the Little Lulu stories uh, have um, uh, been so fondly remembered and uh, continue to be talked about is that they're interestingly uh, sort of proto-feminist. And maybe this is a a good reason to bring Gail in, because uh, she grew up on some of these comics. uh, And uh, they, unlike um, a lot of comics from that that era, uh, which featured sort of subservient uh, women, uh, Lulu was very much uh, her own girl. Uh, Maybe Gail wants to say something about that. Sure, of course I do. <laughs> well, first of all, I, I, I actually think I, when, when, when uh, Jean and I had talked about Little Lulu some long time ago, and, it, and when I thought about her, I, I, I actually wondered if she'd had a, a, a political, philosophical influence on me, because I was so attached to the character she was, because she was such a rare type in my childhood, this uh, uh, unconsciously uh, tough cookie, really, who mm-hmm. who often um, was funnier and or smarter than than her best friend, her best boyfriend, her best male friend, and um, she just she just she had a, a confidence about her and an assumption about where she sat or stood in the universe that was, was just a rarity in that era. And um, it's funny, because now when I read about her, and, um, you know, there are descriptions about how she navigates the complex world of um, clubhouse bullies, I'm, re- I'm quoting that off the back, back of one of the compendiums of her work. But that notion of her, any kind of deliberate, um, deliberate, oh, I don't know, independence and strength was just so out of, out of the picture in, in my childhood. And when she was being created by, well, initially by Marjorie Buell, who I gather, uh, maintained for some time after Stanley took over uh, what her, the character of Little Lulu would be like. Um, so that, you know, I don't know, that may account, and Buell is a very interesting character herself, uh, that may account for who Little Lulu was and remained. I think she's quite different in her... In, uh, Stanley changed her character somewhat over the years and made... Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, anyway, I, I, I better let somebody else talk first. <laughs> well, I, I was I was just thinking, uh, Buell's uh, version of Little Lulu was basically as a little imp, a mischief maker. And, I, uh, right, you're right. And, and in the the earliest uh, 
of John Stanley's comics, he clings to that, but very quickly, by the end of the 40s, he has transformed her. I, I, I feel that he kind of took over those characters and reimagined them. And uh, by, by around 1949 or 1950, you see Lulu emerging as this very self-confident, determined, aware uh, just you know, a very powerful figure, and uh, it's a female figure that that appears again and again in Stanley's work. Uh huh. It's a central central figure of his his storytelling interest. Is this are complicated, confident female characters, whether they're they're villains or heroes, they all carry themselves with this absolute certainty. It seems just reading the work that I've been reading, he has respect for his characters. Yeah, yes. I think that's right. I think uh, one of the hallmarks of Stanley's work, uh, and uh, especially the Lulu work, is the sort of range of characters he creates, and um, the way in which uh, they have this sort of like integrity. I mean, Lulu's um, we've talked a little bit about, and her big foil is uh, Tubby, her uh, her male friend, and Tuggy, Tubby's like a fascinating character because he's this sort of romantic egoist. He's always imagining himself as this great adventurer, as a detective, or as a hobo, and he sort of like tries to bend reality to his will, uh, and this being a John Stanley comic, that doesn't always end up too, uh, too well, but it's always kind of funny. Uh, and actually, I think that's one thing I should maybe foreground here, um, uh, which is that these are like really funny comics. Like these are, these, you know, they were uh, meant for kids and for the uh, parents of kids, and uh, they um, they have this uh, real wit to them, uh, and a lot of the wit does come from the stuff we're talking about uh, in terms of uh, the characters and also maybe the wordplay. Like there's a lot of like um, there's a lot of banter between uh, Lulu and Tubby, and it often feels like a sort of screwball comedy in the sort of Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy vein, except yeah. that they're little kids. Well, and I, th- I think what he what he also did so brilliantly that that allows the humor to sit there and exist is that he he the, the the world that little lulu and tubby and their friends live in is is absolutely real i mean i when i read it as a kid i believed that world existed i didn't think of it as as a fairy tale i didn't think of it as something made up um and the other thing that occurred to me is that um uh, the, the, my my era with this was 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 an era that was steeped in Freudian analysis, and um, was, Freud was kind of present in the way of thinking about things. And I think that there's an, a very very deep, but nonetheless present undercurrent of um, some Freudian stereotypical relationships. In, in the original, well, not the very original, but the Stanley version of the uh, of of Little Lulu. Yeah, I want to just take up Gail's point because it's it's an excellent uh, one, and I think uh, for people who haven't read Little Lulu, uh, one of the best places to start is the Toon Treasury of um, uh, classic children's comics that Art Spiegelman and. Francois Mouly edited. And yourself and Frank were consulted. Uh, yeah. Frank and I yeah. were sort of consultants on that, so, so we, we have to confess that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in that uh, book, there's this wonderful 
uh, story uh, which takes up the theme of gender war in a very Freudian way, as Gail uh, would indicate. Um, it's uh, called Five Little Babies, and it starts... It's this world of resentment. It's it's a sort of like uh, schoolhouse uh, world. Um, it starts with uh, um, the uh, rich kid, uh, Wilbur, sort of trying to humiliate the other regular fellers like um, Tubby and the boys, and then he convinces them that he can um, outsmart Lulu, and, and they don't believe it because no one can outsmart Lulu. And through uh, trickery, he convinces Lulu to walk around like a dog. Uh, and, of course, Lulu, and especially her um, young female friend Annie, is like they're sort of uh, very upset when they find out that uh, Lulu's been conned, and then they in turn play a trick on the boys, um, which involves uh, diapers and uh, the uh, sort of uh, little pins. Uh, and and it all open safety kind of, uh, pins. Huh? Safety pins. Open, open safety pins. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the whole story, I mean, has this sort of classic screwball feel, but it also has this real, like, undercurrent of uh, sort of like, yeah, t- t- tension about sexual identity, t- tension about masculinity and femininity, you know, the desire for uh, to make others submit to your will. Uh, and I think there's something Frank has written quite well about, the sort of the psychological um, acunum of uh, John Stanley. And mm. that's, a, that's an aspect that, that uh, maintains my fascination with his work. Uh, there's an undeniable darkness creeping around the edges of, mm-hmm. of uh, even the, the happiest of little Lulu stories. Uh, he wrote, I feel, from a very dark place and somehow managed to, for the most part, synthesize that darkness into a you know, very vibrant, very entertaining and intelligently written comics. But... Uh, he was quoted late in his life as saying, uh, quote unquote, I don't believe in psychiatrists and pills. And uh, <laughs> he was a, uh, uh, an acknowledged sufferer of depression and never really treated it, from what I understand. <clears throat> and uh, in a sense, some of these things that we see as Freudian may have been entirely unconscious on his part as a storyteller. I. I, I... I would guess that you're right. I mean, they don't they they don't feel like they're that they're laid on to what he's doing. They they feel like they they emerge from the culture that he lived in and perhaps his own circumstances. Yeah, they sort of like bubbling up from uh yeah. conscience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but certainly, uh, if he's not self-consciously Freudian, he does have a real interest in human psychology, and Very much. sort of you know the sort of mild form of madness that um, all of us share. I mean, I, yeah. I really see that in sort of the Tubby character, who's yes, kind of delusional, uh, but uh, functionally delusional. Well, the other thing is that I was I was thinking about who would little, little Lulu have turned into because she did. Um, she did feel like a real character to me, and um, and cu- curiously, I mean, I'm as surprised about this as you will be when I tell you that um, I think that she might have been a, a Barbara Emile, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Conrad Black's loyal wife, huh. beautiful and confident and perfectly um, per- perfect. Um, cosmetic surgery, and smart, and, you know, I, from what people tell me, I don't know, I don't know 
personally, but uh, on top of the game. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I, there, there's something to that. Although I, I have to say, I think uh, maybe Lulu's a little bit smarter than Barbara Hill. Maybe the other way to put it is that uh, uh, Conrad Black, um, the uh, uh, Canadian uh, newspaper tycoon who is currently in jail, is uh, Sir Conrad Black. <laughs> Isn't it Sir Conrad Black? Sir Conrad Black. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's something about Conrad that, I mean, now that Gail brought up the analogy, there's something about Conrad Black that is a little bit like Tubby. There's that sort of delusional aspect of it. About. And then the, the romantic sort of aspect, you know? The wanting to be a lord. Uh, I mean, it, 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 I know it's far-fetched, but there's something about it that, that seems... Um, Apropos, um, yeah. it, you know, the politics may not fit. I don't think Lulu would turn into a, a right-wing conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, no, but I know there's, there's something to what uh, Gail has uh, said. There's yeah, just, I mean, it, she, yeah. She does seem like she, uh, I, I do see her assuming some kind of a, a responsible authority position in the world as an adult. You know, maybe she was an environmental activist or something. You know, just just uh, uh, she just seems like she's destined to uh, to do something important with her life. May, one thing I'm I'm kind of no- yeah. noticing from the conversations you're having about the characters, my own observations reading the characters, which probably won't be as in depth as Jeets uh, and Frank's, is it seems like he's kind of working with character archetypes in a way. Mm-hmm. Like he's got a character, and they kind of almost fit a mold, but he plays with that mold very much. I have uh, in my my studies of his work, I've identified there these three types of characters that he constantly turns to, and one is the Lulu type, which I sort of call the voice of reason. The witch story. Um, in in all of all of Stanley's work, he he uses these three three important characters one is is a character that that little Lulu embodies this voice of reason this very rational determined straightforward character and then you have what i call the tubby type which is the uh completely wonderfully self-delusional person who is led by their cognitive biases and is as utterly utterly uh confident of their own rightness and then there is a uh, a character that is usually uh, just there to raise the stakes, to be an obstacle to these two characters, or to to threaten them in some way. And uh, it just he seemed really drawn to these three types of characters, and basically all of all of the major and minor characters in all his comics can fit into these three three categories. Uh huh. Well, you you would certainly know better than I, but but I had the sense that, um, I, and I don't know how long she did this for, but that Marjorie Buell, in particular with Little Lulu, kept a kind of um, kept a sort of watchful eye over the change, <clears throat> the changes that might ensue from Stanley taking over, and and I I it's interesting what you say about she would have become a kind of um, significant personage because I, I, I think both Buell and I <laughs> uh, have always resisted the interference of the political uh, in 
in in the kind of philosophical or the humor or the 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 real life led and uh, and that was one of the things that always appealed to me and continued to appeal to me about little lulu is that she uh seemed to have a mind of her own yes. wasn't swayed by the 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 um prevailing uh yeah, it, well, the mores, yes, because they were the mores of childhood, so they were, relatively speaking, innocent. But she, um, she didn't take up causes, it would seem to me. She looked after herself, in a sense. Well, she is, she is at times an advocate for, for, for friends of hers, uh, like her friend Annie, who is, the, you know, uh, often depicted as their family is often depicted as being on the edge of poverty. Right. She, she frequently advocates for Annie and... Uh, right. And advocates for animals and uh, smaller children. You know, she has... She definitely... is. She, she gets a notion that somebody is being mistreated and she acts rather righteously on that assumption. I, th- I think you're right, but I always... I always... At least in my reading of it, I always took it as something that it was something personal to her. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. It's it's not. Yeah, it's it's on a. It really is on a case by case basis. Exactly. And it's an emotional reaction. I mean, she's she's addressing a specific incident, but she just thinks this is not right. This is upsetting me. I've got to do something about it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm just curious, looking at the time when John Stanley's creating this work, this kind of insight into character creation, it's pretty unusual, isn't it? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's, uh, I agree with that. Because of I mean, the time I mean, period? The, the comic book world, I think the only other uh, person that was doing anything comparable was Carl Barks with his sort of duck comics. I was, I also, I was kind of making my own little notes and stuff. I also kind of feel some parallels with Kurtzman in a way, too. Um, that's, that's kind of interesting. I mean, they're both very strong cartoonists. But, I mean, I think Kurtzman, uh, with Mad Magazine, he was, com- I mean, he was more what Gail was talking about, sort of commenting on the larger social culture, the, mm-hmm. the political culture, uh, you know, with this anarchist sensibility. And then the same with the war books. I mean, Kurtzman was very interested in these large issues, uh, you know, of, like, war and of advertising. Whereas I think Gail had a real, really keen insight that there's a sort of, Stanley's concerned about the private world, you know, the, the yes, world of yes. human yeah, interaction, it, it, the relationship. It's worth noting people. that uh, his comics are almost completely devoid of topical references. Mm-hmm. Uh, just consistently throughout his career, uh, that it is mostly the the issues of people and their 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 flaws and quirks and virtues that really drives his storytelling. Yeah. Well, it's in, also interesting is that... And, and, and I, I want to just follow up on that, because I think it's interesting that you can kind of read Lulu without really knowing when it's from. Like, it sort of has this sort of, like, timeless, you know, small town or, you know, um, small city sort of feel. Uh, yeah. It could be the 30s, it could be the 40s, it could be the 60s or 70s, you know? Like, there. I mean, it, I, I think kids today could, like, read a little Lulu, and it, they'd be kind of hard-pressed to get a sense that it's like from a really distant period because it doesn't have those sort of topical references. It's funny, you know, I don't know if any of you would remember um, or have seen Ellen DeGeneres before she 
got a TV show and became who she is now. But she used to do stand-up, yes. and and her material had that same feeling to it. It was it was the details, the ordinary details of everyday life, that she, and she turned it into extraordinary humor. I mean, it was her stuff yes. was hilarious, yes. and it's, and it's and there's a bit of that quality to what Stanley did with Little Lulu. I think that's true. It's, it's sometimes it's a case of just focusing on one odd little aspect of, of everyday life and by calling attention to it, uh, addressing the absurdity of it. Yeah. And a lot of his humor comes from that, that viewpoint. That's a really interesting comparison. I think it's valid. I want to kind of put us in a different direction because we're probably about halfway point in our time coverage and we've talked about little lulu but that's only a part of who john stanley was if i'm not correct correct. um so i kind of want to get a little bit more of an idea of uh who he was as a cartoonist as well um get into because i mean right now we're seeing a resurgence in john stanley material um we have the collections from john and quarterly the 13 going on 18, um, the Melvin the Monster, and the Nancy strips he's doing as well. I also want to make a note that he, there are two uh, John Stanley strips in the Art and Time book, which will be out, I guess, in a month or something like that, um, which are nothing like the other types of strips. If if you would forgive me, um, after enjoying myself... (laughs) thus far, if I um, left you to the rest of the conversation, because um, there's a little trauma uh, in, in, in Toronto where I'm speaking from, because uh, the internet is down. <laughs> <laughs> the world will... Well, thank you so much oh for joining God. us, Gail. I'm, I'm actually having a nervous breakdown, but I'm controlling myself. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Well, well no, thank you. I really enjoyed I, hearing your, your, what you had to say. It was very interesting. Well, thank you. I enjoyed talking with you, and I hope we do that again. Me too. I'll, okay, I'm going to hang up. I hope it doesn't disrupt anything. It'll be fine. Thanks, okay. Gail. Thanks a million. Carry on. So um, you were saying about John Stanley's larger career, and I think this is something maybe Frank can also speak about, but I mean, I think the basic... Uh, I mean, there's very little known about his early days, but uh, he sort of, uh, you know, really came of age uh, in the Depression, which must have been a formative experience. He worked, uh, he did some, uh, uh, wanted to be a graphic designer. uh, Hello? Okay, something did happen. Hold on. There we go. I got you, boys. Uh, so I, I, I could just continue to sort of describe Stanley. He worked for the Mass, uh, Max Fletcher Studios for a bit, and then he landed a job in the early 40s working for Dell, which was a sort of um, a uh, comic book company that really was making itself the major force in kids' comics, especially licensed properties like Disney and Woody Woodpecker and uh, many other characters. And then he really became a sort of journeyman artist there, uh, artist, uh, mainly writer, but he also drew... Uh, and then later when he did Lulu, he would do the basic layouts, uh, in that sense, very similar to Harvey Kurtzman, um, having other artists do the mm-hmm. art. Uh, but, but Frank, do you want to say anything more about um, the sort of, you know, Stanley's background as a cartoonist? Well, I still got you there, Frank? Oh, we didn't lose Frank again. Oh. <laughs> 
Oh, did you, did you want to play some music? Or? Yeah, I'll play a quick track. I don't that Frank shouldn't have been gone. I don't know why that happened. So we'll be right back. Ink Studs, uh, the the radio show that never seems to work. <laughs> She's a fool, and don't I know it? But a fool can have her charms. I'm in love, and don't I show it? Like a babe in arms Love's the same old sad sensation Lately I've not slept a wink Since this half-pint imitation Put me on the blink Guiled again A simpering Whimpering child Again Bewitched Bothered And bewildered Am I Couldn't sleep And wouldn't sleep came and told me I shouldn't sleep, bewitched, bothered, and bewildered, am I? Lost my heart, but what of it? She is cold. I agree She can laugh But I love it Although the laugh And we're back. Goodbye, Frank. Uh, here we are. <laughs> Hi, Jeet. Hi. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel uncomfortable and awkward. That's too no many, worries. too many... Uh, uneventful or over-eventful mishappening. So we were talking a bit about the background of John Stanley um, coming from the Depression, uh, working for the Fleischers, very similar to uh, Jack Kirby, yeah. who, do, who also um, grew up in the Depression, and some of his first work was with the Fleischers. Just make it a note. That's right. And then, like Kirby, he landed in the sort of burgeoning comic book industry and uh, worked for Dell and was really a sort of, you know, um, I, I keep using the word journeyman. Like, he really worked on licensed properties that yeah. Dell was um, uh, putting out, like Woody Woodpecker, uh, Andy Panda, and eventually Little Lulu. Uh, does Frank, you want to, like, fill in more about sort of the arc uh, of Sandy's sure. career? Uh, actu- actually, the first licensed character he worked on was Mickey Mouse. Oh, he worked on a Mickey Mouse magazine, which was uh, Western's precursor to Walt Disney's comics and stories. I, uh, I'm not sure exactly what he did. I have heard that he did some of the covers, which would make sense, because he did a lot of comics covers throughout his career. And then in the, towards the end of 1942, uh, he did his first comics. His first published story that I'm aware of is a Tom and Jerry story. Mm-hmm. That appeared in a, in a January of 1943, and then later that year he started doing the uh, 
some of the Walter Lance features for a comic called New Funnies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, just his earliest stories are kind of fascinating because even though he's still feeling his way around, you can see that he has an innate, uh, just, you know, he's just totally in touch with the comics medium and knows what to do with it. But, uh, and then uh, he started with uh, the, I think the first published comics art by him was that first issue of Little Lulu in 1945, uh, in terms of, you know, sheer comic book stuff. Sure, and uh, I mean, just to give people a sense of the larger career, he continued to do Lulu, uh, and but it was also doing other uh, licensed properties uh, throughout the early 50s, and then, um, I'm not quite sure, what's the end date for his work on Lulu? Is it like 59? Uh, it's, uh, yes, it's it's like, I know it's issue 135, which is late, you know, late in 1959. Okay, and then, uh, but he's also doing work um, on uh, things like uh, Nancy, uh, which he sort of turns into a kind of version of Little Lulu. Um, yes. And uh, but but then in the in the '60s, um, Dell sort of undergoes uh, some changes, and he gets a chance to create his own characters, and that's the sort of um, period where he creates the uh, the teenage series thirteen uh, going on eighteen, which I think can best be described as what Betty and Veronica would be like if they were written by an intelligent writer. Oh, <laughs> uh, <Aww>. yes. <laughs> hey. and, uh, but also he did this uh, Duncan Lou, which is uh, what Archie and Jughead would be like if they were written by an intelligent writer. Uh, and uh, he did Melvin Monster, which is a sort of, you know, take off on this sort of Adam's family idea. Again, done with great uh, yes, verb intelligence. And, uh, and, and uh, various other series, including some ghost uh, horror comics. Yes, um, are, would, are, are those the ones that uh, Dan Nadell reprints in? They're the Tales of the to- from t- the Tombs? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Number those. one. Yeah. Which are very interesting. I mean, they're kind of genuinely scary. Uh, and yes. that might tie in with something, because I mean, Lulu is a kind of humor comic, but there's always a sort of undercurrent of dread, especially in the sort of you know fairy tales that Lulu tells yes. the uh, neighborhood and kid Elvis. Um, and so I think in, in Stanley's like case, you were in versions of Little Lulu's stories. They uh, I, they don't really work as traditional horror comics, but as a kind of a translation of of nightmares and the subconscious to the the comics page. They really succeed. I'm really curious about them artistically, because they are so completely different from his other work, the horror stuff. Yes. One of them, I think, one of them was drawn by someone else, but the other one was drawn by him, if uh, I'm right? He didn't, he didn't draw any of the horror oh, stuff. Okay. It was uh, drawn by a variety of staff artists. And uh, one thing about them that, that uh, may have really affected them was that the editor he was working with at the time, this uh, cartoonist named, named uh, L.B. Cole, really edited him with a heavy hand, and from... What I've been able to discern, they didn't have a very harmonious relationship. And uh, he fortunately left Dell. Uh, and the, the moment he leaves Dell is when Stanley starts drawing 13 going on 18. Hmm. And I actually have recently been in touch with the person who was uh, the editor after L.B. Cole. He just contacted me. He had seen Stanley stories. And uh, he, uh, he and I are going to do an interview sometime soon. 
I'm really excited because this is the first person I've encountered who's like still alive who worked with John Stanley. Wow. Yeah, no, because that that's uh, that'll be fascinating, and uh, I think uh, I think the 1960 stuff is very interesting as well because um, what Gail had mentioned earlier that there's a sort of darkness uh, in some of the stories. I think that really comes to the fore in yes. some of the 60s work, uh, yes, especially and, and sort of Melvin Monster, which is on the one hand a humorous kids comic, but I think can be seen also as an allegory for child abuse. I mean, yes, it, it is a very dark. Uh, I always think of uh, that novel by Linda Berry, Cruddy, when I'm reading Melvin Monster, because it, it, uh, they're comparably bleak portraits of dysfunctional families and the, the darker side of you know, the whole family structure. They, That's uh, very interesting. Yeah, I think Linda has actually cited uh, Stanley's Lulu work as, uh, as an inspiration. Uh, but, I mean, also, I mean, they, they're... Beyond that, they're dealing with similar issues. Yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, um, in Melvin Monster, uh, you know, the, the little monster boy has a very uh, loud, obnoxious, and sort of verbally abusive father called Baddy, which is, you know, Bad Daddy. Mm-hmm. And, and more interestingly, he has a mother figure who's wrapped up like in the Egyptian manner, who's called Mummy, who's and is sort of blind passive. to what's going on around her. And I think that's the classic sort of abusive situation where you one parent is uh, very violent and the other parent is an enabler and doesn't yes. see. Um, How? So, uh, so, so I think those, those comics are very interesting in that uh, respect. Uh, and I think um, perhaps to just sort of wrap up our survey of his career, I mean, he did sort of uh, leave the comics field, I guess, in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, with a certain degree of bitterness. Um, and I think that's uh, perhaps a difference with Karl Barks, who uh, was a sort of you know happy company man and who um, uh, easily was sort of absorbed by the world of fandom and started doing these paintings. He got a little grumpy. You know, his, uh, some of his last stories are, uh, uh, are, are rather crabby, and I know that he he was a little worn out by the time, you know, he had been just churning out stories for a quarter of a century. And, uh, you know, I think he was, he was ready to stop when he did, but he, as you said, he did embrace the, uh, the, all the love that was out there for him. Whereas Stanley just turned his back on that. You know, he went to one, maybe one or two comics conventions in the mid seventies. And then he just shut the door on that for until like the last, couple of years of his life mm-hmm. and there was definitely you know I, I would love to know the whole story that's part of the fascination with him is that you really uh, there's so little documented about his daily life you're kind of dealing with a Ditko type situation yes and uh, you know I've, I've talked with uh, Stanley's son Jim I'm gonna I'm a uh, working on a, a, a book that I guess Drawn and Quarterly will eventually publish called The Art of John Stanley that is going to be a kind of coffee table book just, you know, a, a critical view of his career with you know, with several stories and excerpts from stories and uh, I, uh, I'm looking forward to talking with Jim Stanley sometime soon, you know, again just to get the sense of you know, people that, that knew this guy and, and what he was really like as a person. Um, uh, yeah, no, there, there's some uh, uh, mystery there, but I mean, I think there's a lot that can kind of be gleaned from the stories. I mean, you do really get, uh, you know, a sense of his wit and yes. his intelligence, but also that sort of melancholy side. I mean, I don't think that it's an accident that uh, uh, Seth 
the Canadian cartoonist loves John Stanley, and I think in, in Seth's work you see a lot of the similar sort of sensibility, that sort of, you know, uh, melancholy combined with um, uh, uh, wit. Um, yes. Uh, so, so I think that there's, a, there's definitely a strong personality that comes through Stanley's comics. I yes, guess... Oh, go ahead, Frank. They are, you know, it's, it, it actually makes it, makes it possible to identify stories of his. I, I keep finding stories that, uh, you know, just tucked away in the back of some obscure Dell comic that, uh, that presence of, of personality just really comes through. And uh, it just, it's fascinating how consistently he was able to assert his vision of the world via these, you know, quote-unquote kitty comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of that both both of what you just said and what you just said kind of resonates. I'm just wondering the kind of the legacy that Stanley has left. I mean, you've commented on Seth. Um, we should make a mention, I guess, of the Friends of Lulu. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely a strong... I mean, as uh, Gail sort of testified earlier, like there's a strong... Uh, a tradition of women growing up and reading Lulu, and uh, I mean, I think this is one reason actually why Stanley, sort of fandom at large, was slow to get to uh, Lulu in the sense that fandom is very male oriented and was really into sort of you know EC and the superheroes, and the sort of things that are kids comics and girl comics got less attention. Uh, but actually, I think one of the other big legacies of John Stanley, oddly enough, is Robert Crumb. Yeah, uh, you yes. know who? If you read Crumb's letters uh, from when he's a teenager, I mean, he was uh, heavily into uh, Lulu, uh, and he still owns, uh, you know, a, a huge run of like Lulu comics. <laughs> and if you see, actually, I mean, if you look at the way Crumb organizes a page, the way he mm-hmm. has characters that are just like walking around, um, the, 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 his body language. I mean, that's all. Uh, it's and, John Stanley and Carl Barks. I mean, those and are the, the writing as well. I mean, uh, Crumb kind of kind of adopted uh, Stanley's use of the ellipse. Mm-hmm. He, uh, you know, the dot dot dot. Mm-hmm. He really uses that the same way that Stanley did as a way of uh, Stanley and Crumb. You know, all the the great comics writers have been able to do this is somehow through their writing. They they sort of put a a pacing and timing in there for the reader. They uh, they somehow control the flow of the story, and uh, and and urge the reader to pause and consider certain things. And uh, you know, it's it's just it's remarkably good writing. It's it's you know, I, I think it's genuinely literary. We're nearing the end of our time, mm-hmm. so I have a really simple question for both of you. What's your favorite Stanley story? Or maybe it's not a simple question. Well, I already I mentioned think I the story is that, uh, the uh, Five the... Little Babies, in, uh, uh, which is available in the Toon Treasury. Um, I, that's a great Lulu story. And I, I think after that, um, it's not a story, but I think the series 13 going on 18 is Stanley's best work. Frank? And uh, my, my single favorite story is uh, in the Toon Treasury. It's a, a tubby story called The Guest in the Ghost Hotel. Which is a, a a marvelous mixture of 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 uh, fantasy and reality, and uh, then the in overall the comics of Stanley's that I tend to like the best are the ones that he also drew, mm-hmm. and I've become I finally 
I had some difficulty getting 13 going on 18 for a while, but I've I found myself getting into it and really admiring the just the the great beauty and subtlety and the the room that he gives those characters. It's uh, you know as we said earlier, he's so respectful of his characters. He really. I think that flowered in 13 going on 18 because you see them, you know, he depicts them at their, their lowest and their highest points, at their most vulnerable as well as their most confident. And it just takes a great deal of, I think, care and, and sincerity to be able to put fictional characters through those paces and still keep them, you know, just keeping them real and keeping them very much alive. The really neat thing about looking at the 13 going on 18 uh, collection is you see the rough early days, which were illustrated by someone else, and then you kind of see, as Stanley gets more and more comfortable with the characters, and about four or five issues in it, really, it's hit its pace and starts going. Yeah, I think think that title of all of Stanley's work gives you the most insight into his creative process, because you see him starting a series from scratch and just over, you know, the comic was published quarterly, so it's like over a couple of years' time, he figures out what to do with these characters and what their potential is and, uh, you know, how he can use them for his typical narrative pass in which an event, an escalating series of events keeps raising the stakes. And, uh, you know, by the, the end of the second year of that, he's just, you know, completely embodying those characters. It's, it's as I said, it's just it's it's a truly literary quality that writing has. I think that's a good point to end it on. Mm-hmm. Thank you both so much for taking the time. Once again, I apologize for our. Uh... No, it's okay. I thought it was a, thought it was a really great conversation. <laughs> it was. I thought so too. I, I I've had a great time. Well, thank you both. Your uh, fine workers in spreading the uh, the good word of comics. Thank you, sir. Thank you, you G. Thank you, well. Frank. Okay. <laughs> Have a good day, guys. Bye. You too. Bye. Um. Folk, just so folks know what to check out, there are the uh, John Stein Library from John Quarterly, as well as the Lulu Collections from Dark Horse Books, and uh, mentioned briefly Art and Time, which will be out in about a month and a half, and I will have Dan Nadell on to discuss that collection. Um, next week, I think I'm going to have Graham Annabelle on to yak about Grickle, the big book of Grickle. All right. And uh, I'm going to play an Inkstone's mixtape by Feral Dalrymple next. And then at 3.30, we will have La Francaise Connection. La Connection Francaise. I don't know. I'm, I'm terrible on my French. Bye-bye.